me from the inside out. The only thing that works, isn't it? You can't reform the outer person without having some renovation of the heart. Um, just uh, uh, for those of you, last call for the marriage uh, uh, seminar Friday night. We'll need to get some things to you by first of the week, so get signed up if you were planning on going with that. Um, <clears throat> we've been talking about uh, a vision of our church. The vision of our church is to touch uh, our world through Jesus one life at a time. Um, God has given the church to the world. And God sees the pain and the agony of the world. He sees all that has gone so wrong. And he sent Jesus for that. And when Jesus went back, he commissioned us to go in his place and to represent him. And, and to love, last week we looked at, to love our world, to touch our world, uh, to influence our world through Christ, one life at a time. I hope you've been doing that. I hope you've been getting up and thinking, Lord, how can you use me today? What do you want to do through my life in this day? And then reaching out with the love of Christ in your world. Uh, well, it, it would seem to me that we live in a world of injustice. We live in a world of injustice. We live in a world where injustice is rampant, and that's not okay. We live in a world, and, and we see the injustice in all the many faces of, uh, of injustice, um, that, that fight against people, that hold them down, that, that hurt them. We see what justice is and how it coheres with truth and moral righteousness and the very character of God is in, in what is right. Uh, this week, um, Russian athletes um, had their status renewed um, because they had been nailed for doping charges, uh, being banned from the Olympics uh, because of the doping scandal. They were cheating. They wanted to win by cheating. It's not okay. It's not okay. And injustice goes so far deeper, though. It's people who are disadvantaged, people who are discriminated against, perhaps because of race, perhaps because of, of their, their status. Um, they're, they're picked on unfairly. They're held back. They're not given and provided with opportunities. And it's not okay. Some are advantaged because of who they are or who they know, and there's favoritism, and it's not okay. Poor people who, who can't fight the rich, they're taken to court, and they don't have the resources to hire the legal teams, and they can't keep in court when, when the people with means can keep that going on and on because they lack resources. It's not okay. People who cheat others because they can, they control the market, they abuse and they, they take advantage of that, and it's not okay. A caste system where, where some people will never get ahead because they're relegated to a place where they're not allowed to get ahead, and it's not okay. People who have no voice, no one to speak for them, and it's not okay, and, and corruption in, in institutions. In the police, I'm not talking here, I'm talking globally as well, where, where police 
will take a bribe and let you off, and, and they'll try and call you on something or a trumped-up charge, and it's not okay. Slavery. Uh, the, the, the Walk Free Foundation estimated in 2016 that there are 46 million slaves worldwide, and 18 million of those are in India. Human, human trafficking, forced labor, holding people in bondage because of indebtedness, or the horrendous expression of sexual exploitation where people are taken and owned by others, young children, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, used and abused and discarded because life is cheap, and it's not okay. And this is happening in Canada. It's happening in our backyard. Do you know the average time that the first girl is trafficked in this area, in the Toronto area, is 13 and a half years old. You said, no, not in Canada. This, this may be someplace else in the world. Not, no, this is in Canada. And, and though indigenous people make up 4% of Canada's population, they represent 51% of people who are exploited And it's not okay. And I want you to know that God abhors injustice. He hates injustice. It's not okay with him. He created us. And in a tragic act of rebellion and sin, everything changed for us. We live in a sin-cursed world where people abuse other people and are unjust. And our world is, is riddled with brokenness and abuse and injustice. And it's not okay. And through the Bible, God's hatred of injustice is evident. And for a few minutes, I just want to uh, show you one example of this. And it comes from the prophet Amos. He wasn't a professional prophet. He, he wasn't a, a lifetime prophet. He actually was a farmer, and he was from Tekoa. He was from south of Jerusalem, um, several miles. He was from the, the southern kingdom of, of Israel. And uh, God sent him with a message for the northern kingdom. Sent him a message coming from the south to go to the, the northern kingdom and to speak to them. And... Uh, He's going to deal with injustice, largely in this, in this uh, book of the prophecy of Amos. And God is not pleased, and he's not happy. And in the first of Amos, it says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds, uh, the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. God is ticked. He looks at the world, he sees all of the injustice, he sees the terrible things that are going on, and he roars like a lion, and that's a scary thing. It's a frightening thing when God is ticked, when he's upset, and he looks at this situation, and he's had it with it. He's going to deal with it. And so in the first two chapters, he lambastes the kingdoms around Israel, their neighbors, and you can imagine, if the prophet is coming from, uh, from the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom, and he's coming with a word from God, and he begins to nail these guys. He says, he says to them, he says, all right, um, I, I, I got a message for you from God. It's a message of judgment. 
And he starts with Damascus. That's in Syria. We know Damascus to this day in Syria. And, and so that up in that north, uh, northeast corner, he, ha- he speaks against this nation for three sins. Uh, yes, for four, for the, the transgressions. I will not revoke punishment because they have threshed Gilead. And he starts to tell all the terrible things they've done. He says, I'm going to judge you. And he goes from there to Gaza, uh, down in the southwest area where the, Philist- uh, the Philistines were. And he lays judgment on them for the terrible things they've done. And for Tyre, in, in the northwest corner. And, and Edom, uh, which is the southeast. And Moab and Ammon, which line up across the Jordan on the east of Israel. And he nails them all. And I can imagine that God's people are going, Go God! Go get them! We hate these people. Come on, do it to them. And then he does something that probably really they liked. He nailed the southern kingdom. This guy came from the southern kingdom and he's not only nailed all these other uh, places, uh, countries around him, but he nails the southern kingdom. And I can imagine that the Israelites were ecstatic when they heard that. Uh, he, he says, um, he says, for three transgressions of Judah, the northern kingdom, and for I'll not revoke punishment because they rejected the law of the Lord, not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray after their fa- and they, those who walked after their fathers. And I'll send a fire upon Judah, and it'll devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. And they go, yes, go God. And then something untoward happens for them. God speaks to them. And in fact, he speaks to them at greater length than he speaks to any of these other people. He's going to tell them what he thinks. And this happened to be a time where there was a measure of peace and prosperity in the northern and the southern kingdom. And in the midst of this uh, time of, of prosperity, God sees all of the injustice and he's had it with it. And, and, and so he begins to say what, what his problem is with them. And we begin in verse 6. And in verse 6, it says, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver. What's he doing? He's talking about slavery. He's talking about innocent people. He's talking about people who are righteous, good, uh, God-fearing people. And and, and the people in in the northern kingdom would take something like like that and and buy off um, with silver. To have someone like that imprisoned, enslaved. It, it was terrible. The Ten Commandments said you're not to bear false witness against your neighbor. And what, have they, what are they doing? They're, they're using trunked up charges. Paying somebody off. Buying them off with silver. And having them to the point where, uh, where they, they have enslaved them. He goes on and he says... Uh, they, sell the innocent, uh, they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Life is so cheap that, that we will sell you a human life for just a lousy pair of sandals. That's how bad it was. He goes on to say in verse 7, They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. They walk over people to get what they want. They trample them under the ground. They deny them justice. These people who are oppressed and pushed down. They trample on their heads, affording them no rights, walking over them. 
And then he goes on to say this, Father and Son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. So there's not only those kind of, they're sexual issues. They've got a father and a son, and we're not sure exactly whether this would be a cult prostitute or, or whether this is just somebody, and, and dad is having sex with the girl, and, and the son is having sex with the girl, and they've cheapened the life of this person and abused that person, and it's forbidden uh, to do that kind of thing. And yet that's the kind of thing that's going on, and God says, it's not okay. I, I, I can't stand this. He goes on in the next verse and he says this. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in a pledge. It's an inter- interesting thing. If you, if you needed to do a pledge, you would give them your cloak and they would keep that as collateral until you, would, uh, until you can make arrangements. But if you know what it was like to live in the... Uh, in the, uh, the land of Israel at that time, everybody had basically one change of clothes. You had an undergarment that you wore, and you had a heavy, big cloak. That was your blanket. That was your protection. That was your warmth. That was everything. And if you had to give that cloak in pledge of something as collateral, God said, look it, don't keep that after evening. Give it back. They need something to sleep on. But here's what the scripture says. Uh, They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in a pledge. Uh, Let me just show you the next verse. Here's what he says. If you lend money to one of my people among whom you, who is needy, Do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. Because the cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear because I'm compassionate. On to the next verse, please. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. They didn't care about this. You know what they were doing? They were at a place of worship, lying on these cloaks, luxuriating, enjoying themselves while people were, were, had, had no covering for themselves. He says, I, I don't go for this. It's not okay. I will judge this. Going on to the next one, please. In the house of their God, they drink wine uh, taken as fines. You know, sometimes you go into places where the police, I mentioned, are corrupt and they fine you and extort money from you. And here are these guys in the house of their God, probably a pagan, some kind of a pagan wor- place of worship. And they're, they're getting drunk. They're enjoying this wine. And that came through extortion. In the, it, 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 it's so wrong. The drinking wine taken as fines. This is what, uh, what the Lord looks at. And he is so through with these guys he's so done with them and so he's going to challenge the people and he's going to rehearse for them who he is so we go to the next one he says this i destroy the amorites before them the amorites is kind of a title of of, that encompassed a whole lot of people that were in 
Canaan at the time and who fought against them and made life difficult for them. And God says, I destroyed the Ammonites before them, though they were as tall as cedars, as strong as the oaks. They, they were powerful. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't get to these people by yourself. But I destroyed them for you. I protected you. I destroyed their fruit above uh, and the fruit below the roots. I, I leveled them. I took them right out. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. He's going back to the Exodus. What I did, you cried out because of injustice. You were oppressed. You called out to me and I saved you. I brought you out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years and provided uh, food for you and protection for you. Uh, in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I had a place for you that I, I, I was preparing. And I raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. But here's what's happened. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not done that? Have I not cared for you, provided for you? But you made the Nazarite drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. The Nazarite was a person who would make a vow, a very serious vow to God. And, and to make that vow to him, he would not be able to drink um, uh, alcohol, no wine, not even, not even grapes. And he would, he would let his hair grow. And he would do this as a solemn vow to follow the Lord. And, and, and uh, most of those would be for a time, uh, a time in their life where they would make that vow. Um, but here's what happened. You made that guy who took that vow before God break his vow. You made him drink wine. Uh, you took, you took, the, uh, uh, you took the, the prophets and you told him, you can't prophesy. Shut down the prophets. We don't want God speaking to us. And he was sick of it. And here's, so here's what he says. Is it not true? Uh, now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when it's loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will muster their strength, uh, will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet of foot soldier will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. He says, I've had enough. And I'm going to judge you. And I don't care what you do, how much, I don't care how good you are, I don't care militarily, I will take you out. And, and the sad thing is, in all of this, the sad thing is that God did do that. About 20 years later, he brought the, the Assyrian Empire down and, and just flattened Israel. Took away the best of the land, took them uh, and exiled them back to Assyria, and 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 sent other people to live with the poorest of the land. That's where the Samaritans came from. Sending those people back, they intermarried with the few um, Jews that were there and became this half-breed Samaritan group of people. God says it's not okay, and I will deal with this. And, and God's people should feel the same kind of repulsion that God feels when he sees injustice. You see, the church is touching the world through Jesus. We're called to make a difference in the world, to touch the world, uh, to change the world, to see God's, uh, God's love and, and God's righteousness and justice prevail. And so to live with integrity, we need to understand what authentic faith is all about. 
Um, and and uh, there is, uh, in the Old Testament, God tells us the kind of things that he cares for. And in fact, he says there are three categories of people that, that how you treat these people are going to be, uh, are going to say a, a great deal about who you are. And, and so in uh, Deuteronomy 24 and 17, it says this, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Three categories of people who were, who were fairly helpless, who were vulnerable, who could be beaten up on and were beaten up on, who were abused. It was the foreigner, the person who's, who's living in your land. It's not his country or her country. She's come there. And, and those people can get abused. They can get put down. They can get oppressed. They can get um, all, all the terrible things and injustices can happen to those people because, after all, they're not one of us. And he says, you can tell your level of spirituality by how you treat that person and not only that person but the fatherless the orphans how do you treat the orphans they're helpless do you provide for them do you care for them do you you encourage them and what about the widows and uh, we can add in in some of them we can add also uh, the poor and poverty seems to be a big overarching issue for them and, and uh, this just wasn't an Old Testament thing. Over and over it says, you know, how you treat the widows and the orphans and the aliens or the foreigners. This is going to tell us the level of spirituality. You can, you, can have all, you can do all the religious things you want, but what's really going to tell the tale is what happens here. And that doesn't just happen in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the same thing. And so in James 1.27... He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. What's this religion that God accepts from us? Is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. See, if you want to see what true Christianity is about, it's not about just coming and singing and giving and listening it's about how we treat the most vulnerable people, how we do, what, what we do with those who are in distress, what we do with those who are helpless, those who are, are, are uh, beaten down. That's going to tell something about the genuineness of our religion. True and pure and faultless religion, genuine religion is looking after the widows and the orphans in distress, in their affliction, and to keep ourselves unpolluted from the world. See, you can talk about faith, but Jesus isn't interested in in your talk. He's interested in what you do and how you care for the most vulnerable. And we look historically at the church, and the church through history has responded so often to injustice. In, In Great Britain, a man by the name of William Wilberforce, who was a member of parliament, became a Christ follower, and he became so convicted about the issue of slavery and he began to, to uh, lobby and, and push hard to abolish slavery. He would not quit. Twenty years he went on and leading this movement to abolish slavery. And in, uh, in 1807, the Slave Trade Act was enacted. And in 1833, the Slavery uh, Ab- Abolition Act was passed. Three days before he died. He saw injustice and he said, I cannot 
stay, I can't, I can't just let this go. It's not okay, and I'm going to lobby and seek to change this injustice. In America, the same thing, Christians who lobbied and fought for the abolition of slavery, who supported the Underground Railway, who for 30 years had their voices calling on the, on, on the government to change uh, this uh, terrible thing. The Emancipation of Pro, uh, uh, Proclamation happened in January 1st, 1863. And it was believers who were spearheading this. And I know that there continue to be many uh, inequities in some of these things persisting. But God wanted his people to stand up and be counted. And through the industrialization that, that came... Uh, we read of the kind of things that happened with child labor. Children between 7 and 14, some of whom were working from 6 in the morning till 7 o'clock at night, little children, um, in coal mines, in copper mines, uh, employed in factories and uh, uh, in fields and, and making bricks. And uh, Christians saw that exploitation. And people like Robert, Robert Oster said, it's not right, it's not good. In the 1830s, they moved to, to change the nation. He, he called them to change from sacrificing children for greed. Christian lobbyists were there. Uh, Rosie Knowles uh, does a, 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 talks about Christian compassion as it's been expressed in, um, in hospital and care of, of the sick. Doctors and nurses who gave up the opportunity of, of uh, lucrative careers at home to extend the love of Christ began to go and, and open up hospitals and places where they could care for people to extend the love of Christ. And, and even so many of these specialized in things like the leprosy mission and, and the blind mission and immunization. Missionaries were there helping. Missionaries were there helping with literacy, helping to start schools and orphanages and, and ministries of adoption. Uh, in India, and I, I had the privilege of going to the place where uh, William Carey worked and uh, saw there the, the regard that the Indian people have for, the, for this man who was known as the father of modern missions. And he came and he saw so many of the practices there uh, that were unjust and wrong. He, he saw how uh, a young widow whose husband died would be offered uh, on uh, the funeral pyre to burn to death with her husband as an act. And he, he rallied, railed against these kinds of things. And through his influence, um, some of those things stopped. The bottom line is, God wants to touch our world through Christians by the Spirit who moves them to sacrifice, to deal with inequities and injustice, making a difference, caring for people who are needy and poor and hurting and abused and neglected and discriminated against and exploited. Which begs the question, what are we doing today? Working around the world what are we doing to stop injustice as we see it? Well, may I suggest that that's still God hates those things and it's not okay and we need to find a voice and do what we can to help. 
Christians are working around the world. The church has been there where there has, have been needs. And uh, I want to suggest that one thing you can do is you can engage politically. You say, well, that's kind, kind of strange, isn't it? Well, not really. The people you vote for and what they stand for and the truth and the sense of fairness or justice, uh, when these things arise, uh, we need people who will stand up and speak God's truth. Um, I'm talking about getting into political office, perhaps, and having an influence that way. I'm talking about writing your MP or your MPP or your local government. I'm talking about uh, institutions, for instance, like the four C's, the Canadian Council of Christian Charities, who help uh, Christians navigate uh, legal issues and, um, and financial issues for the church and for nonprofits from a Christian standpoint. I'm talking about... Um, an organization like uh, uh, Defend Dignity, I, and I, I want to give you the I want to give you their website because this is uh, one of our Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, branches. This is part of us. This is generated from us. DefendDignity.ca, DefendDignity.ca, and I want to commend you to go on that site and see what they're doing. But let me tell you, I had a, a wonderful conversation with uh, their director, uh, Glendine Girard. They're involved in working in politics. Uh, they're, they're interfacing with the government, the federal government, the provincial government, local governments. They're lending a voice. They're teaching. Uh, they're teaching them about what's happening on the streets uh, with people who are are uh, being trafficked. Uh, they're dealing with uh, businesses. And uh, she gave me a list of, of businesses who, who have uh, shut down the ability of people who use their Wi-Fi to get onto porn, porno, pornographic sites. They're working all over on our behalf, on your behalf, on behalf of Christ uh, to do that kind of thing. They're dealing with prostitution laws. They're meeting with government groups and, and really seeking to make a difference. I want to encourage you as things come up uh, to let your voice be heard, to speak up in, into some of these areas. S secondly, speak against inequity. Here's, here's what it says in Proverbs 31.18. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Who's going to speak up for the people who can't speak up? Now, I want to get really personal because maybe in your workplace, you see injustice. Maybe at your school, you see injustice. Maybe it's a, on your sports team or something, there's injustice. Who's, are, you, are, you going to, are you going to be silent or are you going to say something? Are you going to lobby? Are you going to try and help uh, someone who is, is uh, undergoing difficult. And, and, and oftentimes immigrants are targeted or they just don't have the help and the support they need. Are you going to be that voice for someone else? Who's going to speak up for the unborn babies who are being aborted? Who's, who's going to be their voice? If not Christians, then who? See, God has given us a voice and he wants us to speak up. There are also uh, advocacy and awareness programs. So Defend Dignity is interested in um, making people aware, providing aid, helping, helping particularly young gals get off the street, 
and, and providing for their needs. Uh, they, she says they do up these packs that are about $250 a piece that provide them what they need to, to, to start life when they get them off the street. And then advocacy they deal with. Uh, we've got Bridge North up in Newmarket doing the same kind of thing. Christian organizations looking out to help these people who are on the street. Um, uh, needy people. I, uh, a gal in my previous church by the name of Sharon, her dad worked with, uh, works with International Justice Mission. Uh, there's another great organization that's working around the world uh, in the area of injustice. And uh, she felt she wanted to contribute in some way. So she went to Liberty uh, College in the States. And uh, she was going to go into law and thinking God could use her in that way. But God changed her heart uh, after the start of that. And instead, she began to, uh, to train for um, uh, international justice and uh, investigation. So she got a degree in that and she went for a one-year uh, internship in uh, southern uh, China, in Chennai. And uh, there uh, she was working with people who are enslaving others. So they would get news about this. And here's the kind of thing that would happen. Somebody would need a bit of money. So they, someone would loan them that money. And then he said, now, to pay it back, you've got to work for me. So the person would work. And he said, now, bring your wife and bring your children and stay here. And they didn't, the people that they were exploiting didn't have the education to know. They didn't have the connections. They didn't have um, any kind of legal help. They didn't have any protection by police. And so they would, they would get whole families in. And they would work them to death. But they would, they would say, you know, you haven't paid it off yet. You haven't paid it off. And this would go on. And she told me about uh, uh, a situation where they saw there was a grandfather and a father and a son. All working for the same person. It had happened over 25 years. And no one was there to help them. No one was. And so Sharon uh, was involved in this. And she said, you know, we would come. And the, and the person who, the slave owner of these people would begin to curse at us. And she didn't know that language and what they were saying. And they were saying all the terrible things that they would rape them. And they would do all this. And they would be there with police protection. And they would rescue them. Hey, what, what, a, what a thing. Now, now going up further north, and I, I've spent time in, in Calcutta, in the Calcutta area. And um, let, me, let, me just, let me just backtrack for a second. So Sharon went for a year. And uh, you can only be in the country six months at a time. So she had to go out of the country and then re-enter the country. So she and another intern uh, went to Taiwan for Christmas. A little time there. She said they, they got a hotel... And uh, they were walking through the market at night. And she said, I was just so touched. There was, uh, there was a girl. And uh, there was a guy. And he had grabbed her arm like this and was marching her through the, uh, through the thing. And he looked at her. Uh, he, he look, she looked at, at, this, uh, at this girl. And their eyes locked for a second. And she saw fear and, and, and just this terrible sense of what was happening. And, and the guy said, listen, do you want... Uh, would you like to have the sex? We've got young women. We've got young boys. What would you like? You know, She said, I went home, and she said, God broke my heart. I couldn't stop crying, thinking of the face of that woman and, and what was happening to these people, and who cares? And, and it's not okay. 
And what can I do? And she went back, finished her course, went and did more courses, is currently working out west as an RCMP officer and, and trying to get some things that she can go back and take a, a, a position to help. Doing something. I, I was so privileged to be in, in, the, uh, in the area of Calcutta. And um, the organization and the church that I work with there is, is working in this area. Um, I, I went, uh, on one of my visits, I went to the government home where there are 400 women who have been rescued out of uh, slavery, sex trade. And, and here they are in this government building. It's pretty Spartan. There's not a lot, but Christians go in and love on them and teach them and help them. They're ill-equipped to enter back into uh, society with uh, how wounded and broken they are. And, and uh, so they were asking my friend, can you help us with these women? Can you help? And IGM, uh, the workers, uh, the IGM workers, a number of them went to my, my friend's church. And he said, can your associate pastor, could he be our chaplain? Even dealing with this stuff, we are so broken. Uh, we are so wounded with this. And uh, so they did that. And they began to take some of these girls and they started the Freedom Church. About 70 of these girls come out week after week, hearing the gospel, being a part of a church, coming to know Christ, being baptized, being trained and given skills and help to, to re-enter society. I went, I, you know, I say things to my kids and, um, you know, yeah, right, Dad. Um, and it happened that my, my daughter was there at the same time. I said, you know, I was at this place and I was a dignitary. Yeah, right, Dad, you were a dignitary. But the, the work that they had done, they put on a, uh, a demonstration. They had testimonies and they had, they had dignitaries. Uh, people from consulates from other countries were there showcasing what, had ha what, what uh, the ministry was doing there. And here were these beautiful young women all all decked out in their saris and, and uh, performing uh, uh, traditional dances and hearing the stories of what had happened. And the government is looking in and taking note. And, and she said, we're helping, we're helping the police don't know how to handle this. We're training the police on how to deal with these things. I was there when they were having a sting set up for 5 o'clock that night police would be there, a person who's going to buy a young girl is there, and they'd get him and put him in jail. I, what, I'm, what I'm telling you is Christians are, are leading the way in some of these things. I, I, I teach at a Bible training institute. It's training um, young people to shepherd and pastor churches in, in uh, West Bengal. Uh, the Bengali-speaking people are one of the largest unreached people group in the world, about uh, 280 million of them. And uh, here they have the, the children of the sex trade workers. They've built a home for them. And I went in and I see these little guys. They're all, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. And uh, the people who are in the Bible Training Institute are like big brothers and sisters to them. And I see these little guys running around thinking, God... If you wouldn't, if you didn't have people like this who cared enough to do something. 
And, and so here they are helping these people. Uh, they've got 35 people, uh, 35 gals who are uh, mentally challenged. And, and they've got them together in a school. School of excellence. Loving, caring for the people who are most put down, exploited, hurt, beaten down. And that's the church. Touching this world for Christ. I had the opportunity of going to Mother Teresa's home. And to walking through there and seeing caught after caught after caught with people who were dying. But somebody cared to do something for them. Community, uh, clean water, child sponsorship, uh, adopting children, caring for children. And uh, it's not just there, it's here. Last night we had about 25 people go to Toronto Alliance Church to go down and provide food and love, and care, and a message to people who need it, people who are on the streets, people who don't have a place to go, people who are, are, are themselves beaten down. And there we are, the church. I get thinking about this, and I thought, well, what about all the terrible people? What about all the abusers, the terrible people who were doing all these awful, awful things. What about them? The people who, who uh, uh, falsify documents, the people who commit fraud, who steal money, who abuse children, who murder and rape. And some of them get off because of technicality, and some people are never found out. Mass murderers. You see, I want to tell you, there is an ultimate justice. There's an ultimate justice. And that God who hated what was going on in, in Amos, in, in Israel, uh, he's the God who hates injustice here. And it's not okay. And uh, there's a picture at the, at the end of Scripture in, in uh, Revelation 19. And, and it says this, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true, and with justice he judges and wages war. This is Jesus. Jesus will come back not as some meek, mild person with a morose look on his face. He will come back in power to execute justice against all the people. And there's a white throne judgment. There's a judgment coming that Revelation 20 talks about. A time of reckoning. And if that doesn't scare you, it should. Because God roars. He speaks of this injustice. And here's the thing. God has this impeccably high uh, level of uh, our standard of living. And we're told in the scriptures that all of us have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. It's not okay your sin and my sin are violating what God desires for us. It's not okay. But God did the most incredible and wonderful thing for us when he sent his son. In fact, in Romans 3, in verses 25 and 26, it says this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. That word righteousness in many versions comes out as justice. To show his righteousness, to demonstrate his justice because of his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus looked at us in our mess. He said, there's no hope for them. There's no, the justice for them is death. The justice for them is, is judgment. But I'm going to do something. And he sent his son to come to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be exonerated, we could be justified, we could be declared righteous, uh, we could stand before him pure and clean. And for him to do that for us, he had to go through all kinds of injustices. He was hated, he was, he was maligned, he was beaten, he, he, was, he was falsely treated, uh, false trials uh, they, to put him on a cross. Everything they did, there was no justice in that, and yet he did it for you, and he did it for me. That level of love so that he could justify us, declare us righteous, to cleanse us and give us a new life. And as his people, he calls us to go out now and make a difference in an unjust world. Called to be just and compassionate and to relieve injustice and to fight against it. And that's what you and I are called to do. We can do that in so many ways in supporting some of the good things that's happening all around the world. But to see that the church is not just pushed to the periphery of society, but it's making a difference in our world every day where we're at. I'm going to call the musicians to come up. As I was thinking about this, I thought of an old hymn we used to sing years ago. It was called Rescue the Perishing by Fanny Crosby. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. Cords that are broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save.